Well, hi everybody, welcome to the Stratosphere Lounge. I am your host, Bill Whittle, and it is uh, Thursday the 1st of December, 2022. Crazy, man. Crazy. Hi everybody, hi everybody on YouTube, hi everybody on Twitch. Good to see everyone here. Um, I think we'll probably just jump into questions a little earlier than usual tonight. Uh, I can't tease a little something. Um, so, oh, hail, hail everyone, hail Vectron. Uh, we, um, so four or five days ago, Natasha saw a show with a couple of her girlfriends, Russian girlfriends, went out and saw a live show. And it was a, um, it was a, a mentalist. It was a guy who was doing feats of memorization and uh, mind reading, that kind of thing. And, and to his uh, undying credit, uh, he never at any time claimed to be anything other than a, you know, a guy with a lot of advanced psychological techniques. He wasn't claiming to be psychic. He wasn't trying to predict the future. It was essentially, it's a, mag a magic show. And um, and so Natasha said, you got to see this guy. Uh, so um, uh, I went, uh, uh, I'll get Tiki, don't let me forget that. So um, we went, because um, she said, you really got to see this guy. It's amazing what he does. And so I thought, okay, I took a look, looked him up, and I thought, well, he says, uh, you know, feats of memorization, and now he visualizes things, puts them in his memory palace and stuff like that. And I thought, I could certainly use an improvement in my memory. Although I have to say, uh, my, my good friends uh, Phil and, and, and Bobby sent me some supplements, and I've only been on them for four or five days now, but I'm beginning to feel it, you know, really. It's like, it's like eating a, I don't know, it's, 15 something like that but I'm, I'm definitely feeling it um anyway uh so um so we went to see the show mostly because when i saw his um his online bio he said he's really just dealing with a bunch of techniques for uh manipulation that are you know based on understanding how the human mind works and and looking for all these little blind spots and weak spots. And I said, yeah, I really want to go see that because I get the feeling that we are um, being manipulated all the time. In fact, I know we're being manipulated all the time. And I thought, hey, if I go to one of the shows, especially if I get called on, then um, maybe I'll, I'll have some insights into, um, into how all this stuff works. And sure enough, uh, that's exactly what happened. So I... Um, was going to make that my uh, virtue signal topic with Zoe today, and I was honestly got in the chair, getting ready to record. I thought, you know what, this is this is too good, um, because uh, I learned something really, 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 really important uh, yesterday, um, and I thought that um, that I would turn it into a firewall, which I just wrote. I wrote. Uh, an hour ago. So I'm going to come in tomorrow morning and record that. We're way, way overdue for those kind of things. I still have to bring in the, um, you know, don't be an idiot about stuff and still get these scripts to deliver and all that other stuff. So I'm trying to, you know, um, ration my time out as effectively as I can. But in any event, uh, I went in there looking for, I, I, like I said, I'll tease just a little bit of it. I'm not going to tell you the, the lesson I learned, but but it was a profound lesson. Um, but I, but the one thing that I did do last night was, uh, I can't think of the last time I really did this. I walked into a theater, live theater or a movie theater, or whatever. I walked into a theater last night and I was not willing to suspend my disbelief. I went in there, I think in the script, 
I wrote, I went in there like a steely-eyed missile man with eyes like razor blades and the data recorder set on high speed. I was just watching everything because I tried to figure out what was being done. He'd already admitted he wasn't psychic and we didn't have to, you know, climb that hill. Uh, and so I was trying to figure out how he was doing what he was doing. And, uh, and I did. And when I realized what he was doing, how he was doing what he, what he was doing, I realized that is so much simpler than I thought it would be. And at the same time, it is so much more complicated and effective. There's a really big reveal, honestly. It really, it really was remarkably enlightening for me. So I just basically said, um, I just said, uh, I'll turn it into something important. So it's called um, weaponizing trust. And uh, I should shoot that tomorrow, hopefully, tomorrow, and planning to. And then um, get that out either tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow night. Now, nice thing about that, too, is as far as I'm aware, there's not a single element in this thing, which is a nice change. You know, usually I finish recording the things and I have to do two days of post-production on it. But this one's just just uh, not. But this, there, there were, again, I'm not going to give anything away, just to, just to tease a little bit of it. When I was thinking about doing this, I thought, you know, honestly, I don't want to, um, I certainly don't want to uh, act like I'm exposing this guy because there's nothing to expose. He's, it's like, it's like a, he's perfectly upfront. Um, so that was one thing. Hang on. See, you all can hear me and stuff, and that's great. But, um, I just turned the second channel on and the microphone on, so I guess we'll find out in the recording whether we got the first part or not. In any event, if we didn't, then hello. Um, so I, I, I didn't. It's not like I wanted to out him because he, he he's an entertainer. He's a magician, and 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 I certainly didn't want to be the guy who stands up in front of an audience, you know, and explains how all the tricks are done. But I also wasn't. Um, a magician. I wasn't sworn to secrecy. I was just a member of an audience. And so I've changed as much as I can to help protect the guy's identity. But uh, in any event, um, that's that. So uh, I, I just um, was really pleased. Uh, Eric says, what was up your microphone and right angle of virtue signal this week? I was not aware there's anything wrong with right angle, but I do know on virtue signal, it recorded um, the mic over there. I'm sorry, it recorded this mic. I know it seems like I shouldn't be making these kind of rookie mistakes, but in my defense, I have to say, USB can be extremely unreliable. I'll be in the middle of a conversation with Zoe, and suddenly, it, I, I mean, there's nobody here. I've been doing it for, been recording for 46 minutes, and then my audio feed will just go out, and it's like, okay, I have to unplug the USB, plug it back in again. Now, maybe there's a way to get that straightened out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so uh, Ed Smith has said, did he talk about what he can pick up just from studying you for a bit, Bill? That's exactly what I want to see. That's exactly what I wanted to find out was, was how, how much um, can you pick up if you know what you're looking for in terms of body language cues and all the rest of it. And I got a very, um, very good answer. It just wasn't the answer that I expected. Um, and since it's on my mind, so last, so at the end of the thing last night, 
all the audience, you know, he was out in the audience, out in the lobby afterwards, talking to people, answering questions. Couldn't have been a nicer guy. And and very, very good showmanship, excellent set, you know, really, really terrific. And Natasha said, do you want to go talk to him? Because she talked to him when she went there a few nights previously. I said, no, I don't think so, you know, because I'm thinking, I, by this point, I was sure I, I figured it out. And, and, and I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to, like, you know, be a dick about it or anything. But she kind of persuaded me to go stand there. So so I talked with him, and she said, oh, this is my husband. And I, we came and saw the show three nights ago, and I told him about it. He said, he really asked you. He said, I really want to see this. I said, it was tremendous, really, really tremendous show. He says, yeah, what do you think? And so I wanted to, to let him know that I knew, but I didn't want to be a dick about it. I certainly wasn't going to reveal it, so... It was, kind of, it was just ego on my part, probably. Just So I wanted to send him like a coded message, uh, letting him know that I knew, but not letting anybody else know that I knew. And I said, well, have you ever heard the expression, the, um, the willful suspension of disbelief? And he said, yeah. It's a powerful psychological uh, motivator. I said, yeah, it really is. Uh, I would imagine that um, that in order to read people's signals, probably the... The, the first thing you have to do is establish trust. He said, that's it. And uh, anyway, it was, it's really cool. I, I think it'll be a, a fun firewall and, and very topical, actually, to, to, to today's political situation because when you see the solution to this thing, you'll look at things that don't make sense out in the world in politics today, and suddenly they'll make perfect sense. So anyway, that's that. I don't think I've got much else to talk about, so why don't we just dive into the questions uh, for a change. Uh, I constantly ask, can you do Facebook? I'll, uh, but since I'm starting earlier, I hope to get to Facebook. However, you know, I, th our members get so little tangible uh, stuff for what they pay. I just, I just don't have any question about the fact that, you know, that they... Uh, that I need to get to them first. Now, I haven't talked to the uh, membership about this, but because uh, I'm still working on this bloody Soviet thing and, and all that jazz, but um, I am uh, I am planning on doing once a week a Zoom call with the membership, and I'm hoping on doing, in addition to that, a Zoom call just for the producing membership. And that would just be no topic, just me and the gang just, answering questions and interacting with people. So uh, hopefully that'll make up for the fact. I know a lot of uh, members felt that the backstage show and that kind of loose format was really their thing, and it, and it kind of is. But I just think the new format is just so much better, and we get to do two shows a week instead of one. So um, I'm planning on doing that starting next week where we'll do the, uh, the Zoom call. Uh, all right, so let's see here. Let's go to uh, billwiddle.com and find out what we get going. Yeah, it was uh, back to the, just while I'm getting this thing uh, teed up here, it's, I remember thinking, and it's just so, it's so brilliant. It's so brilliant what this guy did and how he did it. I'm trying to log in here. 
Here, here we go. Uh, let's see. Uh -huh, sure, why not? Uh-huh. for lunch questions and more. Twelve oh one. All right, here we go. Here we go. Let me, turn this. Let me do this. Uh, sorry, let me just kind of get these windows all sized up. And then we will see what we got. All right, so... Um, all right, the first one out of the gate is fourth time with Marisha Dark, so I think it's probably time to get to this one after our fourth times here. Uh, Bill, I know we talked about this once before, and I've done a lot of thinking on it since then. Um, it occurs to me that we don't really have a decent word for right-wing authoritarianism, meaning the blue quadrant of the political compass. Fascism and Nazism are commonly used, but they're both forms of socialism and thus, and thus left-wing. Um, Okay. Uh, some people claim that right-wing conservatism is antithetical to authoritarianism, but I don't buy that argument. I think those people conflate left versus right with libertarian versus authoritarian, and that the latter is more important than the former in terms of preserving freedom. Jordan Peterson has frequently talked about the adaptive form of liberalism progressivism, which arises when tradition and hierarchy become rigid and stale, or when the religious moralism becomes dogmatic and violently imposed. Just look at any Muslim country, for example, or even the British years when conservatives were in charge politically and culturally, and certain members of the religious right tried to use the power of the state to push hard light Christianity on everyone else. I could cite plenty of examples, but I'm trying to keep this brief. Best I've ever been able to come up with to describe the authoritarian right is... Uh, Theocracy, but some people object to that label as well. Do you think that's an apt term? If not, can you think of any word that might fill this void that is both brief and catchy? For the record, none of this is meant to detract from the fact that we're currently dealing with authoritarian leftists in power. My concern is for when the pendulum eventually and inevitably swings in the opposite direction. Um, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm trying to figure out where, where the actual question is. I think it's what would you call right-wing authoritarianism? Uh, well, and by the way, before I get to that, um, Bad Weather Biker for $5. Bill, have you ever tried to converse with Lex Friedman? His interviews are top-notch. I've never heard of him before, but I'll be looking for him, Bad Weather Biker, and thanks for that super chat. And I know uh, everybody said, got to get the super chats on. To me, it's like the first, it's like, it's like paying extra for, you know, being in boarding zone, you know, boarding zone A on Southwest. You get to move front of the line. Okay, so I'll just give you my reaction uh, as it comes to me, which is pretty much what this show is about. Uh, I think that that you can say right-wing conservatism, I mean right-wing authoritarianism, but conservative, conservative authoritarianism is a contradiction in terms. Uh, that's the way I look at it. it it's, a, it's a contradiction in terms. Um, anybody who is who is talking about that doesn't really get it. Um, we were, coincidentally enough, doing a virtue signal on this sort of thing today uh, on, on the difference between uh, legislating against actions versus legislating against opinions. Uh, Zoe and I were talking about the so-called uh, Respect for Marriage Act. And um, 
And my response to that, I wanted to get back to Tiki Rocket on that too, who said, sorry, he was so cranky last week. Look, I'm cranky every week, Tiki Rocket. It's uh, it's good to disagree with people, especially people you respect, and, and I understand passionate disagreements. Uh, and that's what makes uh, America such a great country, you know, and especially when you can disagree with somebody about one thing and not have them be dead to you about everything else. So uh, I didn't I didn't certainly feel like it was uh, out of line or anything. And it is related to your question here, Marisha. Uh, people have very strong opinions about about things, and there are, there are there are some uh, conservatives who who think that that you can legislate morality. I think is probably the the best way to put it. Actually, you know what? Let me rephrase that. It's not that they think that they can legislate morality. It's that they think that you can legislate a slide away from morality. You can you can pass legislation to weaken the moral bonds of society and the social bonds. And I agree with that a hundred percent. But as we were talking about this thing, I said, look, anytime, anytime there's a law passed that has to do with your opinion on something, you will respect this or this is, the, you know, it's like, why are we even doing this? I remember when the whole gay marriage issue was in full swing, oh, about 10 years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood, because it was something I, I, I did a virtual presidency segment on. And I said, okay, so from a national political point of view, if I was the president, what's your opinion on, on gay marriage? My response would be, my personal opinion is my personal opinion, and I'm not going to give it here because I can't give my personal opinion without it becoming the president's opinion with that said. Uh, concerning this issue, I went to the Constitution to look up what it, would, what it said about gay marriage, and it turned out it didn't say anything about gay marriage. As a matter of fact, it didn't say anything about marriage, period. And... Uh, and that was a big insight for me. So you have conflicting moral priorities. I do anyway. Uh, this society is predicated, any free society is predicated on moral behavior. It's predicated on, on, on a fundamentally virtuous population. Now, everybody breaks the law. Everybody does something that's not legal, but, but by and large, you know, following the rules and obeying the law, and maybe if I drive six, seven miles over the speed limit, that's still a relatively virtuous life, lifestyle. And so anything that ruins or, or, or degrades the, the moral quality of the country is degrading the quality of life for everybody. They are poisoning the river. So it's no longer you do your thing, I do my thing. Now what you're doing is encroaching on me. And on the other hand, I have a profound belief uh, that in a free country, you should be, what you do is your own business. And certainly what you do with a consenting adult is your own business. I may not like it, but it's not my place to, to legislate it. Uh, and it's not your place to legislate me. It, certainly you or I or whatever, if we disagree on something, have not only uh, should have the opportunity, but even kind of an obligation to disagree and, and work what you can do to change people's minds. But that's not the same thing as legislation. So when, when you pass an act that essentially says, I mean, I know it doesn't exactly say this, but, but the direction that uh, Respect for Marriage Act goes is you, you will legally put up with this whether you like it or not. 
There's no business writing any laws like that. Um, you know, this whole thing about does the government recognize gay marriage, you don't, this shouldn't be an issue. It, and, and the reason it shouldn't be an issue whether or not the, the law recognizes gay marriage is because the law shouldn't recognize straight marriage either. The law should have nothing to do with marriage. As a matter of fact, the reason that you have to get a marriage license today is because after the Civil War, Southern Democrats could no longer operate for 60, 70 years, couldn't operate on the federal level, so they had to do everything on the local level. So it was the it was the former Confederates in, after Reconstruction that basically said, in order for you to be legally married, you have to have a marriage license. And the reason they did that was to prevent interracial marriages. That's what the Democrats did. That's what they've always done. So this whole idea of, oh, well, it's, just, it's, not, it's not legal, it's like, it should, none, this shouldn't even be up for discussion, right, at all. You 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 are married in a in a religious service, and frankly, frankly, if you're standing, I think if you're standing with with two of your friends and you have witnesses, and I say I'm marrying this person, I I agree to be your husband, I agree to be your wife, to me that look, it's as binding as it should be because this is a moral, spiritual, internal issue. It's not a question of having a qualified, licensed representative there. I would be willing to go so far as to say I think I could probably. Two people should be able to marry themselves, and, and you might be able to make the case that you might want to have that notarized, right? Not legislated, not regulated, simply recorded. So all of this stuff is just is just us fighting once again, fighting on on territory that we can't that we can't win. Natasha and I got married by Jeremy Boring, uh, who is a um, who is a certified official pastor, and he had papers that he had to fill out and submit to the state of California. Uh, and we had to get our marriage license. And eventually, when we got the marriage license, we got a marriage certificate. So it's up there on the wall right next to the diploma that I didn't get. And it's, it's, just, it's just not appropriate in a free society. So I'm not dancing around the answer to your question here, Rush. I'm just trying to get triangulated on it. Anybody who says that they're a conservative and then says they want to enforce authoritarianism on people, theocracy on people, uh, enforce bans on gay marriage on people, whatever, that person, to me, doesn't understand what conservatism is. Cons look, conservatism is kind of like, it's kind of like, backing, backing this conservative philosophy is very much the same as backing the legal foundation of the country, which is innocent until proven guilty. Now, innocent until proven gu guilty sounds really, really good until, until you get somebody who is obviously guilty and they get off. Then it's like, this is an outrage. I'm talking to you, O.J. Simpson, right? Then you think, my God, this system is so screwed up. You know, this person just clearly did it. How, how, how on earth did they let him off the hook? Well, they let him off the hook because, because the prosecution is the burden of, of proof. They have, they have to, that's the bar that they have to clear. He is innocent until proven guilty. And while I thought they proved it, the jury didn't. And, and so, okay. So watching OJ on the golf course, and I've seen the uncensored pictures of, of, uh, of Nicole and, and Ron Goldman, and, and you know, I, I want that the guy's an animal. And I know he did it. Everybody knows he did it. I don't like it, but I can't, when I say I can't do anything about it, 
I mean, morally, I can't. It's not like I'm powerless. I mean, morally, I can't do anything about this. I can't say, well, I think that 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 you should have the presumption of innocence unless I personally feel like he's guilty. In which case, no, it's it's the it's the price you pay for a legal system. And parenthetically, having spent so much time with the Soviets and all of the murdering they did, they constantly the Cheka constantly said. Better to kill 10 innocent people than to let one spy get away. This, is, this was their operating principle. And that, that's repugnant to any decent person. So anybody who's, who, who's, who claims to be a Republican and is an authoritarian, they're in the wrong party. And, and, and so I think the answer to your question is there is no term that you can apply to authoritarian uh, conservatives because if the person is determined to be authoritarianism, then that, that excludes them from conservatism, and often the other way around as well. So you can't call them the, like uh, theocrats because conservatives don't believe in a theocracy. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, uh, speaking for the movement, I'm not going to accept, I'm not going to have to answer a question where the premise is false. I, I think the premise is false to begin with. Uh, so, hopefully uh, that'll that'll do it on that. Third time, uh, all right. Richard Ark again. This one got cut off initially due to the stream glitching. I just wanted to say that I enjoyed watching on election night at Daily Wire. Thank you. I especially love you and Megyn Kelly putting the screws to Ben about the importance of Trump, positive vision, and rhetorical intelligence. Sad to see most of the DW guys and conservatives in general how quickly. Now quickly abandoning Trump in favor of DeSantis, not to say that Trump is perfect by any means, but it seems a tad ungrateful, especially considering how many of them derided Trump for years while benefiting from his presidency. Personally, I think Ben and the others violated the most basic rule, which is don't get cocky, kids. Since up until the end, they were talking in terms of what if we win big and what if we win bigger instead of what if we win versus what if we lose. At a broader level, I've been seeking a lot of black-pilled conservatives even before election night through, through now, more so now. Claiming that cheating and tit-for-tat violence are now the only way for the right to ever win again, my response has been that the light were ever to go down that road, if the right were ever to go down that road of popping grenades on medics to borrow your metaphor, that the right would lose its only selling point, which is having the moral high ground. They'd lose credibility when talking about virtue and the rule of law, giving precedent and justification for the left to double down when we became the monsters that they claim we were. Honestly, if I wanted cheaters and murderers, I'd have voted Democrat. Do you think these people, meaning black-pilled conservatives, can be brought back to peace and reason? Or are they too far gone in conjunction with my first post liable to do damage to conservative efforts and branding? Lately, I get the feeling that civil war and authoritarianism are ine inevitable at this point, that we can only delay it or speed through it, but no longer avoid it. What do you think? Um, I don't want to signal you out again, but one of the things I think is we could get through a whole lot more questions if they were just questions. Um, so... I'm going to have to go through this and, 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 and try and find out where the question is. Do you think these people, meaning black pill conservatives, brought back to peace and reason? The black pill conservatives? Okay. I think I get it. So the, answer, so the question is, uh, is there a way to, to recover conservatives who are convinced that the only way to win now is to cheat, is to do, essentially, is to, is to, 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 it's not a question of fighting them on their level, it's just a question of, like, abandoning your principles. 
uh, no, that's not how you win. That's not, that's not a win. You can, you can, um, I want to put this. So the example I constantly use and overuse is the example of the Marines versus the Japanese. They basically started when Japanese surrendered. They went to take their surrender, and then the Japanese dropped the white flag and opened up with machine guns. And after a short time, the Marines realized that these guys weren't playing by the same rules that we were and that we could no longer play by our rules with them. And so everything degenerated down to an extraordinarily brutal uh, conflict, personal brutality on the actual part of the soldiers, much more intense than the, than the brutality, not to say the combat was any stronger or, or, or weaker, but the, but the animosity and the, and the savagery and the war crimes and all the rest of it, much stronger in the Pacific than it was in, the, in, in Europe. Uh, it's not got anything to do with uh, the fact that these are yellow people versus white people. It's just that the yellow people in this particular case had an entirely different value set. So the question becomes, what do you do when it appears like all hope is lost? Uh, when I heard on election day that, and thank you, by the way, Marcia, for the kind words about election night. It was kind of strange and kind of cool to be find myself talking to Megan Kelly. Uh, so what do you do? How do you, what do you do when some, what do you do when the other person is cheating? How do you, how do you deal with that? And, and more specifically, how do you deal with cheating when the referee is in on the cheating? That's the problem, right? That's the problem we have in society right now. It's not just that, the, that one side is cheating. It's just, it's just that not only are they cheating, the ref is cheating on their side. The ref is constantly calling fouls on one team and not on the other and, um, and overlooking uh, fouls on, on one team and, and, and cranking them up on the other. So what do you do about that? That's a conundrum. Um, I do not want to miss these. I, I have a very, uh, which I might get over, but I feel like if somebody does a super chat, they need an answer right away because I don't want them to scroll off and miss them. Uh, Hi, Bill. I'm super keen for your series on Daily Wire. My family was brutalized by both the Nazis and the Soviets. Seeing clowns in the current year defending those disgusting ideologies make me white hot. Thank you, Black uh, Frankie, for the blank. Sorry, blank Frankie, thank you for the super chat there. Um, yeah, the, the main thing I mean to do, and I'm coming back to you, Marcia, the main thing I mean to do with that series is I want to I want to scare the living hell out of people. In fact, I had a talk, I will come back to this, uh, Marcia, I had a talk um, with the people that are uh, going to be doing the uh, post-production work set and, you know, set design and all that other stuff on the, on the uh, Empire, an Empire of Terror series, that's what it's called now. And... Um, they're prepared to build pretty cool sets, and plus they've got that kind of video wall that we can do some very cool things with. And so they had some proposals, and it got sent to me to get my feedback on it and so on. And basically what I would like to do uh, for the um, answering your question about being brutalized by the Soviets, I think I'd like to do the first uh, four or five episodes in a set that is essentially an underground execution chamber. I, I want, I I want it. I want people to be in it all the time. I don't want them to be relaxed ever. In fact, I simply propose this. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's just a spitballing an idea. It's not my decision. It's going to be the director's decision, producer's decision. But I said, if for the first four or five episodes, when we're dealing with the executions of the Cheka and the 
OGPU and you know, NKVD did. I'd like to have the set be essentially an underground dungeon, which is dark, except for blindingly bright light that has no diffusion on it. White, hard light. I want to do it like you're in the room. I want it to be. I want it to be that you are in that room the whole time. In fact, I said if if you overuse this, it's really bad news. But if you don't, I think it would be pretty cool if we were to open and close each of these episodes by having a dark room and then this brilliant spotlight come directly into the camera, blow the camera out, get all these lens flares and just this glare. And then I want to walk out of the glare and then kind of crouch down and maybe say the first line to the camera that way as if you're as if you're one of those people who's being victimized. But I said, but yeah, and Soviet martial music on a bad, you know, record <laughs> way in the background down the hall. But I also want to make it clear that at no point in this am I supposed to be seen as the interrogator. I want to be seen as the first American on the scene after this atrocity has happened and I'm recording things. I want to be the guy that like liberates the, the camps. And then for the last two or three episodes, uh, instead of the dungeon, I want to go outside and I want to have that lead gray sky and just perpetual twilight and blowing wind, I said, if I had, if I, if we're able to do, do two different sets, because this the story does move from underground execution chambers after the war it becomes a more uh, the gulag. I said, if the first set is designed to make you feel terror, the second set should be designed to make you feel cold. You should be cold all the time. You should you should feel cold, uh, and. That, to me, is the essence of what the what the torture of the gulags was. They're sending guys to go out and work at 40, 40 degrees below zero, uh, which coincidentally is where uh, Fahrenheit and uh, Celsius match. Um, they, they would routinely go out at 40 below. At 50 below, they'd start to think about maybe not letting them out. 60, if it got to 60 below, they wouldn't... Um, they would get a chance to stay home from school for a snow day. But they said at 40 degrees below zero, if you uh, get a mouthful of saliva and spit, it will freeze solid by the time it gets to the ground. It'll plink. In fact, uh, one of the one of the guys who was in Colima said that if you if you were outside at nighttime and it was quiet you could hear like a like a tinkling sound which which they called which the zex the prisoners called the the um, whispering of the stars and what that sound is is the sound of the vapor in your breath turning to ice crystals and and hitting the ground so that's where i that's where i want to go with with this thing i want i want people to feel it feel it uh, and and that's about the only way you can have your cake and eat it too, because on some level it's a statistical argument, it's an intellectual argument. But if the set design is done right, you should never, ever lose the horror of it. You should be uncomfortable the whole time. Uncomfortable. Uh, so, there's that. Um,
Oh boy, Ed Smith said, Edward Smith says, Soltz and Eastman wrote about survivors of the gulag dying of the first cold that they caught in freedom. Uh, yeah, one of my favorite stories from Coloma Tales, which I've told many times, is uh, um, that a guy who was getting weaker and weaker, he was an intellectual, uh, and he was a young guy, but he was, you know, not a worker. And they're, they're feeding him 300 calories a day, 400 calories a day. He's getting weaker and thinner, weaker and thinner. He's going out there working in the coal mine, in the uh, uranium mines or the gold mines, I guess, gold mines. And every day he's able to do less and less work. And, um, and because of that, when you, if you don't meet your quota, they cut your rations. So he's able, he doesn't, he's not able to keep up. So they cut his rations, which makes him weaker, which means he's falling even further behind. And then he he knew that, you know, it's just a matter of time. But anyway, uh, uh, Shalomatov, uh, I don't know, Garland, the guy wrote Kola Matils, I mispronounced his name. But anyway, he was there and he said, uh, this guy came in after doing a whole day's worth of work, came to his bunk, a couple of NKVD guys um, prison guards show up and say, "Come on, we're gonna we're gonna take you to the commissary. We're gonna run you up or clean you up, or maybe get you in the hospital bed or something." Hooray! And he goes out the door and he starts walking in the other direction, and he realizes we're not going to the camp. We're going out behind the um, behind the cabins, you know, out into the woods. And uh, and he said. He said that the, the last thing that this guy said was he was so pissed off that on his last day of work, he had, he had had to go out and work. That's what pissed him off. Not that he was being killed. It was that if I'm going to get shot today, then why the hell was I out there working for the last 10 hours? That's how bad it was. That's how grueling it was. His only, his only emotional response was, well, if they're going to shoot me, I could have just stayed in bed all day and they could have shot me then anyway, right? There you go. All right, so back to uh, Marusha after that. So let's see where we were here. Um, okay, the black pill, or re returning people and cheating and all that stuff. So, so the Marines behaved the way they did because of the way the Japanese behaved they did, the way they did. And when they came home, Greatest Generation Pacific Theater, and, and to some degree the uh, any theater, but specifically in the Pacific Theater. So these men came home and started families and businesses and became probably the most honest and decent generation that this country has ever seen because they'd been through so much, not just the war, the depression. So you can say that they were good people, they went out into this nightmare, then they did bad things because they had to, and then they came back home and did good things. That's basically the story of the greatest generation, except that, except that, when they came back, they weren't bad people, but they weren't the same people. You know, uh, many people have looked at the like the 50s and the post-war years and, and how bland everything was. You know, movies like Seven Brides for Seven Brothers and Brigadoon and all of this stuff and Perry Como and Doris Day. It's all just, it's also, you know, and, and Lawrence Welk and all this stuff that, uh, that um, the greatest generation liked. And I, and I thought, yeah, it's so, it's so um, boring. And somebody pointed out to me, they said, it's boring 
because these people just spent, you know, four years watching their friends turn to pink jelly in front of their eyes and being woken up in the middle of the night under artillery fire. They don't need any more loud noises. They've had enough loud noises now. They've had enough excitement too. They just want some peace and quiet. So they came back and they didn't come back as bad people, but they came back as emotionally broken people. And that's the one thing you can say about uh, the greatest generation is none of them ever talked about it, not to their families anyway, uh, ever. And and so they're having nightmares for the rest of their life. And, uh, and there's no one they can share it with except other vets. And that support network that we have today uh, was not as nearly as in place. There, now, obviously, more people went, as a percentage of the population went to, went to war in 1941 to 45 than today. But there was no internet to connect these people. The lucky ones, this is my take on it, the lucky ones were the ones that were part of some small, somewhat elite group. For example, um, Easy Company on Band of Brothers, those guys stayed together. And especially the Doolittle Raiders, they stayed together till the last two of them died. They were, they were having, they were having um, um, meetings pretty much every year until the last two of them couldn't come to the last meeting. And so those guys, at the very least, at least once a year, they had a chance to hang out with the guys who they'd been with and experience it with. They could talk to them about it, but they sure couldn't talk to their wife or kids. Uh, and it's not just World War II either. It's war. I remember reading some book about Vietnam, and uh, and the, the guy, language warning coming up, if you've got kids, turn it down. And this guy was saying he'd been he'd come up on a farm and grown up on a farm, went to Vietnam, came back home. First thing they did was make him a nice family dinner, nice turkey dinner. He's sitting around with the family around the table. He says, pass the fucking butter. That's, that's never going to go away. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you go to a war as a good person, then play down to the level of, of your enemies and then come back and be a good person again? I think in order to do that, you have to have an incredible amount of moral fiber to begin with. You just got to be a good person to begin with, a real good person, because you're going to see things that are going to completely destroy your belief in goodness completely. It's just going to just you're going to you're never going to look at the world again the same way after you've been in combat. And after you see the things that these people see. So they come back scarred and and people who've been under fire, uh, with a few exceptions, come back broken. And I, f and I find that the people who seem to have the, who, who seem to be the least troubled by it are guys like special forces guys, because we have an all volunteer military. So these are guys who have so much internal strength, so much intestinal fortitude, that they're volunteering to go into the worst places and do the worst things because they have so much strength in them to begin with. They don't come back as murdering lunatics as the NKVD did. So many of the NKVD guys and rest of the GPU guys and all the policemen, and this is true in, the, in Hitler's SS as well. Those guys drank themselves to death, committed suicide. They, they, they were not only broken by what they did, they were destroyed by it. Uh, you would think that they wouldn't have a conscience, but they somewhere underneath they did. And after you shoot enough uh, eight-year-old girls and push them into a pit... 
you will start drinking so hard or just shoot yourself. And that was one of the reasons they came up with gas chambers, because Himmler was not worried about whether the Jews suffered or not. He, he realized that, that his SS guys were becoming combat ineffective. They were no longer able to do their jobs. They were losing their minds, becoming alcoholics and, and killing themselves because they had to shoot everybody. So he wanted something that would be easier on the guards, easier on the SS. So all of this just to sort of set the stage for where we are today. So we had a, uh, I guess it was on the Stratosphere Studio. Tiki Rocket was, was talking earlier about, we we're talking about um, uh, Dave Rubin and how he uh, had a surrogate son with his his husband and and how that was uh, not optimal and how it, by accepting that you're essentially defining marriage out of the equation and you are contributing to the moral collapse that is fatal for a free society. And and that point wasn't just Tiki Rocket. A lot of, a lot of people feel that way. That is an excellent point. It's, it's, it's hard to argue with that point. But at the same time, you have this conflicting sense of your philosophy, which is, I think everybody should be left alone. But ultimately, 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 when I hear people say that, um, that you know, when I hear conservatives like condemning Rubin for this, I, I kind of think, why? Why are you doing that? You know, okay, so you don't approve of gay marriage and you don't, and maybe you think that, it, that adopting a kid into a gay household is, is worse than leaving them in a, in a, dysfunctional, heterosexual one. I don't believe that, but maybe you believe that. And maybe it's true. But but to have that kind of vitriol over what is essentially a loving act, right? I mean, it's not easy to raise kids. And and it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to, uh, you know, it's hard for me to think of, of Dave Rubin as somehow doing this in order to undermine society. Uh, and I think that's that's what we deal with. I think we get too angry, and and too and too inflexible is probably a better word. Uh, I, I think it was not too long ago when I talked about this. We did a show um, back in the trifecta days at PJTV, so more than ten years ago. Um, and we did a show. This is, well, I don't know, within a year or two of Obama taking office and all of this stuff was starting to come down, right? All of this coercion and you're going to lose your health care plan and Obamacare, all that stuff. We did a show about uh, a woman runner who was about to come in first place and essentially had lapped, it was a distance race, had lapped one of her competitors, passing her, you know, the second time, about to pass her across the finish line. And this this competitor who she was just about to lap, who had another lap to go before she could get across the line. And this runner stopped. And and because this, this other woman was barely able to put one foot in front of another. And this woman stopped, the, the lead, the first place runner, who had the race iced, stopped and put her arm around this other person and helped her across uh, the finish line or helped her get through the final lap or whatever the case may be. And... Steve and I and Scott all thought that was wonderful, but a lot of people didn't. A lot of people said, 
A lot of people said, no, you see, you guys are becoming socialists. You're buying into the whole collectivist idea that, you know, that that, that woman deserved to win the race and, 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 and she, you know, she worked hard for it. And, and now she's, you know, now, now we, we have to carry everybody across the finish line. And the fundamental difference there was that if she had been compelled to do that, then I'd be as angry about it as anything else. Right. If, if somebody had said, oh, nope, you've got to stop and help this person across the line, then you've got a case. But this wasn't compulsory. It was completely volitional. She made a decision that she would rather help this person out than come in first. This used to be worshipped by all sides, but especially by people we consider uh, conservatives. This used to be widely admired, and, and, and rightfully so. That was sportsmanship, right? Sportsmanship is where any example that you can think of of good sportsmanship is almost always a case of, of an athlete sacrificing victory in order because some aspect of humanity becomes more important than, than winning. That's their job is to go out there and win. So... That's sportsmanship, and good sportsmanship always makes me feel happy. Uh, and bad sportsmanship, I have a very low uh, tolerance for. Um, so how do you get these embittered uh, conservatives uh, back? And that's a tough question. It's a good question. Real quick, uh, Lapco92, thank you, uh, $10 Super Chat. How do we go from the Battle of Athens to just meekly accepting obviously questionable election results? If we don't find our spines, we're stuck, not saying violence, but we have to find resolve. That's a great Super Chat. Thank you for it. And it comes into the it comes into the mix because now we're basically what Marisha's question about is. When you've lost faith, faith in the electoral system, when after 2020, the first thing you find out on Election Day 2022 is that Maricopa County has, oh, I guess we ran out of toner. All of you Republicans that came to vote in person, I'm just so sorry. Um, uh, you know, we're just, um, we're just, you know, we're working on it. And you see this and you just want to go, what, what is it going to take, right? I mean, how much, you either, you either have to increase the, 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 the fight back or give it up. Because when I saw that, I thought, they're doing it again right in front of our eyes. Two weeks to count those votes. Two weeks. When the person in charge of counting was the candidate in, in the race, people say, why didn't she recuse herself? That's the question you ask an honest person. And honest people ask questions like that. Honest people say, why didn't she recuse herself? Well, she didn't recuse herself because she's not an honest person. She doesn't give a damn about that. There's no honor there. There's no integrity. It's about power. So the reason she didn't recuse herself was if she'd recused herself, she would have lost. By staying in charge of the counting process, if it takes two weeks to count one county, then we'll just take two weeks. And then when it turns out that I win by a narrow margin, we'll put it out there and all of the bitching, bitching and moaning and conservatives will, will, will blow off steam and they'll, and they'll say this and do that and all this other stuff, all this other stuff. But what they won't do is they won't, what they will do is they'll stand for it. They'll take it. They'll take it. And who cares how angry they get if, so long as they accept it. So where do you, where do you go with that? And, and what do you do about, uh, you know, patriots and people who believe in freedom? 
so-called black-pilled conservatives who decided that the only way now to deal with this is, is, is through violence. Part of it is just plain talking to people, right? I mean, part of it is just, is just I don't mean even individually, I mean just sort of collectively, is, is, like, is kind of like walking them back from the ledge. I mean, whenever I deal with this issue, I always preface it by saying, when you have been under attack for as long as we have, so as unfairly as we have been, and about something that we hold so dear and so important, when religion and, and, and the Constitution and, and all of these traditions in our family is just perpetually under attack by these people, you would become bloodthirsty, right? And that's a perfectly reasonable response, and I'm I feel that way sometimes. I feel that way often, as a matter of fact. But if you decide that the only way to, to solve this is to um, is to uh, abandon the principles that you believe in, then uh, then you've you've lost. See, the the Marines, I think, in the Pacific fought the Japanese in the same vicious fashion that the Japanese fought against them. That's why they did it. But I don't think, strangely enough, I don't think they abandoned their principles. I just think they tailored their response to the enemy that they were fighting. I don't think they abandoned their principles. And I, I think this is an important distinction. When the war begins and you've got a wounded Japanese soldier and he's crying for aid and we send over a corpsman and, and two riflemen and that, and that corpsman bends over to start an IV into this Japanese prisoner and the guy un uncorks a grenade and kills, kills all of them, then you stop doing that. You stop sending corpsmen over and you stop treating the wounded. But you don't stop believing that it's the right thing to do. Does that make any sense? You don't say, hey, you know what, this whole business of, of, of mercy and, and chivalry and decency and honor, rules of war, the whole thing's just garbage. I don't even know why we ever believe. You don't believe, you don't give up your belief. You just give up, you just give up the idea that your beliefs will work in this particular situation. And I think that's how they pulled it off. I think, I think that's how they managed to come back as good people. They never ever gave up what they believe in. They just understood that there are people out there who will use what you believe in in order to kill you. And, and so they kept their beliefs, but they, they changed their actions and their, and their tactics and their day-to-day -day operations, their standard operating procedures. And I think that's probably the best um, template that we can use to think about this stuff, right? You, you can say, look, if, if, if the definition of somebody who's black-pilled and somebody so bitter, you basically say the election system, the entire idea of elections is now over. It's done, right? It's, now it's just survival of the fittest. Now it's just you know, open war. Okay, well, you can make a strong case for that. But what I think you should be doing is, is saying we believe in all of this stuff. We believe in elections. We believe in majority rule. We believe in the, we believe in the 
sanctity of all of this stuff. And most importantly, we believe in the social uh, contract, right? That we will agree to a, to be to be governed by people so long as we select who they are. So you can keep all of that belief and not abandon the belief and just direct your anger and all of your activism and all of your fight against the people that are pissing on your belief. That's not the same as abandoning hope. That's saying the people who we're fighting are not going to are not going to behave honorably. So instead of instead of saying therefore I'm not going to be an honorable person, you say I'm going to be an honorable person, but I'm going to fight them using what I consider to be dishonorable tactics because that's what that demands, but that's not affecting my core belief. Uh To, look, I thought, obviously, that we were going to win much, much, much bigger uh, than, than we did. And, and, and frankly, I thought that Gavin Newsom was going to be recalled. So what I begin to realize is, is that it's going to take more beatings for people to come to their senses. Um, and uh, and that is what's going to happen. So if you look at it like on a really long term, see, here's what's interesting about DeSantis and, and the Florida win. It's not just that DeSantis won by, won by 20 points. Um, there you go, PS uh, 2017 uh, in, in YouTube got it exactly right. Uh, I will keep my principles, but my principles allow me to counter cheating. Yes, I, I treat everybody with respect and honor until I prove, until I'm shown that they're dishonorable people. In which case, I'm going to treat them the way they're treating me. And by the way, in game theory, this is called the um, the iterative prisoner's dilemma. And the way to win that, the way to win the prisoner's dilemma, it's basically a, a thought experiment where if you should you screw the other guy, there's an advantage to not screwing him, but there's a big disadvantage to being screwed and not screwing him back. I'm not going to get into the mechanics of it, but when you when you do the prisoner's dilemma, the way to win is you always have to screw the other guy. That's the best outcome. But the iterative prisoner's dilemma, where you play it again and again and again against the same opponent, where reputation starts to enter the factor, where character starts to enter the factor, then you find out that it's not the best policy to screw people. The best policy is tit for tat. In other words, you play fair, and if that person screws you, then you screw them back, and they screw you, you screw them back, and you keep doing this until they stop screwing you, at which point you must immediately stop screwing them. That is the optimal strategy in terms of points. And you can do this with computers millions of times. That's what, that's what works out. So it's better to cooperate. Everybody wins on a cooperation situation. But if you've got a cooperative society and the other person cheats, then you cannot continue to be playing by the rules with somebody who cheats because they're going to keep screwing you again and again and again and again and again until you don't. When you finally get to the point where you said, all right, that's it. We're done. We're not taking it anymore. Then they now have incentive to stop screwing you, which is why, which is why of all the things that Donald Trump did, the, the reason his, his, his foreign policy was so successful was that he simply said, I mean, verbatim said, look, we've been getting boned for 50 years now and, and we're, we're sick of it. We're not, we're not doing it anymore. We're not playing by this game anymore. We're going to make NATO pay for their own share. It's not like Germany's a poor country, you know, it's, 
we have been paying for your defense for 70 years now, and it's, and it's time for you to pay your own defense. Uh, and, um, and China has been cheating and, 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 and stealing and spying, and they have had to pay no price for it. Well, they're going to start paying a price for it now. We're gonna we're gonna make them pay for it. We're gonna if I have to slap a twenty five percent tariff on their stuff, whatever it has to do, whatever I have to do to stop them from being such dicks, that's what I'll do. Because right now they've got no incentive to stop. It's true in relationships too, by the way, personal relationships, uh, especially in the early days. You know when you're uh, trying to you know court somebody, if uh, if you become a a, a lapdog, they will. There will come a point when the person who you're trying to please is not only so disgusted by it that you've lost your shot, but they'll but they will actually, in some cases, start being as nasty to you as as possible because they are curious about to, to know is it, will, it, are you going to put up with everything? Do you have any line there at all? So. I don't know that there's a, a, a real good answer for this. I think the thing you have to do is to is to say, look, guys, you have to. If I had to, if I had to try to bring back black pilled Republicans or, or conservatives, the the first thing I would do is I would approach them like a brother in arms. I'd approach them like a fellow veteran. I would talk to them as if we were war comrades, war buddies. I would start by saying, dude, I so understand where you are right now. I so understand it. I'm there half the time myself. Honest to God, if there was ever a position to be justified in, this is it, right? This is it. I totally get it. And I'm not even making a, 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 I'm not even condemning you. I'm not even making a moral judgment, not doing any of that stuff. What I am doing is saying, it's not even about winning. What I am doing is I'm saying, you're destroying yourself by, by doing this. You're destroying yourself. And I'm concerned about this because you're a soldier. We need all the soldiers we can get. And, and, I, and I can't watch you destroy yourself and become combat ineffective in terms of the cause and also become a casualty of this culture war so that you're maimed, emotionally scarred for life. I, I, just, I, just, can't, I just can't do that without saying something, right? We need to... We need to Put an arm around this guy and try and walk him back. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Road Rider, he said to skip the question, so I'm going to skip it. Uh, it's an interesting looking question. Um, I shall go back and read it later. That's uh, it. Here we go, Kyle Brand. Uh, hey, Bill. Hey, Kyle Brand. Wanted to ask what your thoughts are on the red wave energy we seem to be losing. Yeah. I was a bit shocked at the outcome of the midterms this year. All signs pointed to a red wave, and then Maricopa County took a week to count all of their ballots again. I think this will significantly harm the moral, the morale of good people in this fight. Sometimes it almost feels like a dream. Obviously, we've talked about this, but I'll just finish it. The kind of dream where you uh, use 50 toilets and then you still have to piss. That's a a very uh, illustrative way of putting it. How can this country as a whole re reject the values that the left is spouting in all forms of media across the spectrum played out by the numbers, but still not score any significant political victories? Companies like CNN and Disney are dropping like a stone, and yet somehow a handful of 
counties are still picking all of our leaders. We should be tap dancing through these elections. Why do we always seem to be playing the game from the bench while their team wears both jerseys? Another fine piece of rhetoric there. Why do all of our best ideas just seem to fizzle out? We were in arm's reach of a convention of states and it never happened. All right, so we talked about, we talked about almost all of this just a minute ago. So I'm not gonna repeat what I just said because I got a lot of this down with the voting and what do you do about it and so on. But you bring up, you bring up uh, a point that I, that I didn't cover and I think this is really important. What, forget about the trends. What are the mega trends? What are the mega trends? In other words, there's no question that, that no question that the, that the operational reality of the country is infinitely more left-wing than it was before Barack Obama took office. And it's infinitely, well, not infinitely, it is dramatically worse. It has dramatically damaged the, the system. It has dramatically degraded everything. All of this stuff, right? All of it. Uh, we're talking, uh, thank you for the super chat there, South Bay Technology Gurus. Uh, just showed up a few minutes ago. Have you talked about Kerry Lake? We did talk about um, people giving up uh, faith in elections. And so we're talking about the ability to believe in our electoral system. So you're kind of catching the tail end of it, but we still got a couple uh, chewy bits for you. All right. So so you look at Maricopa County and you think, well, there it is again, right? It's, 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 a, it's as obvious as it can be. On the morning of the election, you have one job. Oh, computer's out, of, the printer's out of toner. That's why you can't vote today. You really expect us to believe that? They don't. They don't expect us to believe it. They know that we know. They just also know that we're not going to do anything about it. That's the dynamic. You look at these people and you say, do they really seriously think that we believe this? No. They, they know we don't believe it. They just know we're not going to do anything. So... Then it's a question of okay, so do you do you grab your do you grab your ballot or do you, or do you grab your megaphone or do you grab your rifle? And a lot of people are saying grab the rifle. And you know what? That may be the ultimate solution. But there is there is a way out of this that doesn't that doesn't come to that. And uh, as a guy who used to own several rifles himself before the, uh, that really unfortunate boating accident when they all went to the bottom. Uh, I would like to exhaust all of the possibilities prior to that. Marusha Dark quoted a guy uh, who said, uh, they don't take us for suckers, they take us for cowards. This uh, Bill Little Clown said that. That's one of the more pithy things that randomly occasionally comes out of my mouth. That's basically it. They don't think that we're idiots, they think that we're cowards. And that's an important thing to know. So, what do we do about it? So, yes, all, yes, the left starting in the 60s has infiltrated all of these, all of these institutions, and they're now all corrupt, all of them. Universities, high schools, elementary schools, you've got these, these purple-haired nose ring people teaching second graders about what they did last night with her girlfriend in exchange for them saying, we're really proud of you. They're looking for, they're looking for validation from, from seven-year-olds because they're so insecure. So public schools are, yeah, you know, not all of them, but the institution of public education, it's, it's absolutely corrupted, right? So here's the point I'm trying to make. All of the stuff that we're dealing now in terms of reality, society, uh, 
was planted 20, 30 years ago. So the question is, what's being planted now? What, what does the future look like? That's, to me, speaking for myself, but I can make a case for it, that's where the hope is. Is, okay, all of the stuff that happened 20, 30 years ago is now here and it's absolute garbage. Does it mean it's going to get worse in 20 or 30 years? How do we tell? Well, there's a couple ways that we can tell. One of the ways that we can tell whether things will be getting better or worse is what are young people doing with regard to the values that they're being told they have to accept? I've said this so many times, I just can't say it enough. If it turned out that Star Trek Discovery was the most popular show on TV, if it turned out that, that Strange World or whatever that latest Disney thing is, uh, was a box office smash, if it turned out that, that Ray Skywalker was being talked about the way that Luke Skywalker was being talked about, if it, talked to, if it turned out that the, the first woman Doctor uh, Who had the highest ratings of Doctor Who ever, if it turned out that any, any, not, all, not, not even one of these things is true, if it turned out that any of it was getting traction, then we'd be in real, real trouble. But it's not getting traction. The introduction of woke politics is making people who never dealt with politics deal with politics. It's not turning them into Republicans because we don't know how to message that. I do, but as a movement, we don't. So it's not turning them into Republicans, but it's definitely, definitely forcing them out of the, the Democrat camp. And if we would just put something on the table, it doesn't have to be even something nice, just put something down that they could pick up, it'd be, it'd be all over. So, so what are the megatrends? If it turned out, if it turned out that reality was saying that people were leaving red states to go to blue states, then we'd be in trouble. But that's not what's happening. And everybody knows it. If if the policies that the left believes in led to better cities, lower crime, better economic conditions, and all of that stuff, then people wouldn't be leaving blue states and blue cities, and then I would be a Democrat if it worked. But it doesn't, so I'm not. This is why Florida is so important, right? We, we look at Florida as like the only bright spot of the election. That's a fairly mostly accurate thing to say. But it's not just that Ron DeSantis won it big. That could be the candidate. That could be, and he's not a, Ron DeSantis is not what I would call a charismatic guy, right? He's got nothing like Donald Trump's charisma or showmanship or, 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 or fun or anything. So why did DeSantis win by 20 points? But even that's not the point. The point, the, the lesson of Florida is not just that DeSantis won by 20 points. The lesson of Florida is, is that there is not a single federal level Democrat from the state of Florida at all. I think that's the first time ever. There are no congressional representatives, there are no senators, no governor that are Democrats in the state of Florida. And let's not forget that Florida was purple two election cycles ago. So what happened in Florida? In, in fact, what made Florida more solid than Texas? That seemed like that would be impossible. I grew up in Florida. What, what is it in Florida that works so badly I mean, that works so well, rather, because if we can find out what that is, if you can, if you can, if you can suss out that, that, that formula, then that tells you this, whatever they're doing in Florida is causing people to move to Florida. This is what I mean by megatrends, right? It's real easy to get 
filled with despair and all the rest of it. Okay, I get it. I do. I live out here, and, and there are times when I simply can't believe my eyes. But the reason people are leaving California and going to Texas and Florida is because the systems of governance are better there, which means essentially their lives, their lives are better there. Their economic um, opportunities are better. Their 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 freedoms, their their respect. They're being left alone. Their tax rates, all of it, right? So people are not leaving Florida to come to California in the same way that nobody's pushing off from Fort Lauderdale in a raft to get to the free health care in Cuba. Nobody's jumping over, nobody's getting shot going over the Berlin Wall to get to East Berlin. The megatrends are all on our side. And people say, well, what about the demographics? I think... I think that the demographics, which used to be so solidly left-wing, are now, on, on, on every passing day, be, they're becoming more and more toxic and more and more people, this is what I'm seeing, more and more people who were never political before, young people, real young people, are saying, I don't exactly know what I want, but I know I don't want any of this. Now, if we had something in terms of messaging to offer them, then we would be, we'd be out of the woods. So... Uh, Silvergram says, been in Florida since 1986. I tell people thinking of moving here how horrible it is. Wink, wink. Yeah, I, I got a lot of laughs when I said that to um, the, the folks up at another place I like very much, which is Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I said, don't worry. Um, when I go back, I'm going to tell people about how filthy it is, the sewers running in the streets, all of the uh, all of the, the needles on, on the beach here. Your secret is safe with me. Um, so, the short form of all this is if people were buying this progressive philosophy, we'd be in real trouble. But they're not buying it, and it's more than that. They're not only not buying it, they're actively rejecting it. So that's an opportunity, and that's a good sign. Now, over here, Mel Frank says uh, the family is gone and welfare reigns supreme. That's true, but that's not irreversible. And one of the reasons I say it's not irreversible is... Yes, that's a fair general, it's obviously a generalization. But yes, the family is gone and welfare reigns supreme. Yes. Why is that? Well, it's because they've been working to destroy the family, but there has been no counter-argument from our side. Where have we ever shown what it's like to live in a family? Where, where have we ever shown the good qualities of a family. Somebody says, Bill, am I out of focus? I, sometimes the thing drifts. I will uh, do an autofocus check here. Stand by one moment. We must have the highest quality at all times available here. Oh, there we go. Um, thank you. So what do we do? Well, I think autofocus is having a hard time. The problem with that is that whenever I, I'm, I'm just going to leave it like that. What do we do? Well, you have to, you have to present people with an alternative Right? Yes, families are, are falling apart, and the number of, of families as a household, as a percentage of the population, has just collapsed. Uh, just collapsed. It's gone from 70, 80% to, to 20, 30%. It's just collapsed. And we know what the pathologies are that result from that, but where have we ever shown people the advantage of it? That's why it keeps coming back to the colonies for me and how, and how all these other hoops I have to jump through just to keep the lights on so I can live long enough to get this thing off the ground. But basically, 
the, the, the entire idea, the, the entire appeal of the main, main storyline, which is the Homesteader th storyline, is I want to show people what it's like if it's just you, if it's mom, dad, uh, Jimmy, and, and, and Sally out there in the middle of nowhere. I want to show that having a family is better than having a bunch of cool friends in the city, that you are eventually happier, although God knows she's not going to be at the beginning, that the, that the, the value, the emotional value, and, and the, just the way your life, the way your, your, the way your life, the quality of life you have, your just general level of happiness is much higher. It's, in, it's indescribably higher in, in healthy families. But where do, the, where do people get a chance to see that? Which is why families in general and men in particular have to be destroyed in the pop culture. We've seen this for 20 years now, right? Not only on sitcoms, but on ads. The, the male is a bumbling idiot. Honey, do we have spoons anywhere? Oh, yes. Where are they? Do we keep the... Are they in the toilet? No, they're in the jar. They're by the... You know, honey, you know, I just drove my car into the pool. Are we, are we covered? Do we have health insurance? It's, it's, it's turning... You have to destroy... You, the father is what's missing in the family, and they have to make the case for why you're not missing anything if dad isn't there. Right? So, interesting little point here. C.P. Tome says, I detest Family Guy. And, and I'll tell you what's interesting about Family Guy. Uh, I, I detest it, too. It's got its funny moments. But here's the thing that's interesting about Family Guy. In Family Guy, the entire family actually hates Meg. They hate her, openly hate her. And they will do anything they can to leave her out. Right? She is... That's a running joke for them. If Meg gets run over by a car, they're happy. Homer Simpson never, ever stopped loving his family. Everything he did was because he loved his family. And, and he's got a brat on his hands. And so Homer Simpson was a family man. He, 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 was, he came home every day. He went to work in the nuclear plant. Maybe did. Maybe he threw wrenches into the into the cooling system, but he, he has a nobility that, that Peter Grippen does. There's the, the nihilism on Family Guy is, is exactly what we're fighting, right? Everything is ironic. Anything that looks like it's true or honest or pure. Yeah, 63. I'm 63 years old for those asking a question. Um, anything that's, that's pure or decent has got to be mockery. It's got to be, can't be real because ultimately... When you what's a, what's a sentence? Scratch a cynic, and you'll find a, a an ide, an idealist with a broken heart. That's that's how it works, right? Um, uh, John Page here just said something. I just caught it kind of in in a, in, in a glimpse here. So uh, this is the tragedy of Bill Cosby. Uh, is that Cosby? You can make a strong case that Cosby saved saved a generation. I mean, the Cosby Show showed showed black and white families living together he's not a he's not a junk dealer he's not fred sanford he's a he's a, a medical doctor and they live in a nice house and they and they make money and all of that stuff so for cosby to in real life be the the kind of 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 dirtbag that he he spent his entire career trying to negate it's just, you know, it's just horrifying. I'm not aware of any 
shows out there that, that feature uh, families with strong fathers. There may be one or two out there. I haven't watched a lot of TV. I'll tell you what there is out there, however. There are some shows out there that have maybe not strong fathers, but they have strong men. And I'm talking about like Yellowstone now and things like that. Whenever you see a strong man on television, that character will be wildly popular. And I would refer you to Archie Bunker, and I'd refer you to um, to Denny Crane, and uh, to the, whoever character Alec Baldwin uh, played in, in uh, 30 Rock, and I'd refer you to Ron Swanson. When it's visible, people not only like it, they, they, they're... they're mesmerized they're just they're just drawn to it drawn to it uh blank frankie again from australia with the five dollar super chat says my dad used to say whatever god holds sacred the devil must drag through the mud exactly and not only must he drag it through the mud he must continue to drag it through the mud because if he's not dragging it through the mud all the time and people get a glimpse of it then then people will no longer follow the devil. The seduction of evil, if you want, because I think it's a fun thing to talk about, and I think it's a, a useful way to talk about things too, is to talk about good and evil. I believe that good and evil exist. I, I, I don't have an answer on whether there is a metaphysical good or evil. I have an opinion, but I don't have an answer. But I certainly know that good and evil exist in the world, that these are not just shades of of the same color they're, they're they're completely antithetical to each other so if you look at good and evil let's talk about god and the devil as as the avatars of these two um, behaviors right the only time that evil functions is when it is allowed to deceive that's why satan is the prince of lies and you can make this an extremely graphic and extremely um clear present terms. What is the general desire of virtually every young person in America? If you if you're going to generalize, and it's not just this Gen Z, just if you're going to generalize, what is it? What is the goal? There was a time when everybody wanted to be, you know, the best baseball player. Uh, there was a brief time when people wanted to be like great pilot, but for the last 50 or 60 years, the home run of, 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 Winning, winning, winning big in the Western culture, but in America in, sp in particular, is to become a movie star, right? A movie star. That's the ultimate goal because movie stars, not actors, movie stars are rich, movie stars are famous, movie stars are loved by everybody, movie stars get all the women they want, movie stars get more money than they can spend. Movie stars are respected everywhere. Movie stars are always given a table. Movie stars always find a room in a room that's book solid. Everybody wants to be a movie star. And when people say, I want to be a social media influencer, what they mean is, I want to be a movie star. Uh, thank you, uh, Whittleton, for that uh, $10 super chat. Uh, left a question on what we're talking about on Facebook. I'll try to get over to Facebook in a minute. If not, uh, please feel free to repeat the question, and you don't have to do another super chat for it. So thank you. I hope to get to that. Uh, and one other more, one other more from uh, Kisma001. 
we've had it too good for too long and have become lazy. Exactly. Once the economy crashes and the freebies dry up, people are in for a rude awakening. Exactly. If it turns out that you can no longer get free food because free food doesn't exist anymore, neither does food at any price, you have to go out and dig your own you know, garden, then luxury beliefs like what, what are your pronouns will, 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 will simply fall away. This whole pronoun thing is an indication of just how how secure and prosperous this society is. Think about it. Think about it. The big cultural issues, the big injustices, the injustices that have to be fought in America today are, I don't like the language you're using when you address me. It hurts my feelings. That's not the same as the, as the, NKVD coming to your house and taking your entire family away, shooting them in a basement, right? That's not the same as Stalingrad. That's not the same as, as anything. It's not the same as working on a farm. If it turns out that the, that the, in your search for injustice, you have to point out how furniture is racist. If you're, if you're at the point where you have to make the case for why furniture, I'm taking an example because it's everything, why furniture or hurricanes or, or, or anything, why that is racist, if you have to go that far to make a case for something wrong in this country, then you live in an amazingly great country if that is what you're reduced to. If, if, the, if the most injustice you can find is that... Uh, is that somebody said something that I find offensive and therefore I want them shut down and they didn't let me shut them down. That's it. That's your, that's why you're fighting. So look, in terms of what we're talking about, the big picture, uh, and, and, and Kyle's question, you know, why don't you just give up? This system of theirs doesn't work and it can't work and it makes people unhappy. Let me go back to the movie star thing. So everybody wants to be a movie star because the movie star is, that's, that's Satan's best deal. And I'm using him, again, metaphysically, or I'm using him rhetorically is what I meant to say. That's Satan's best offer on the table is if you, if you become a movie star, if you follow me and become a movie star, I will give you every pleasure there is on earth. That's the lie. And it's an easy lie to sell because all of this stuff does look very pleasurable, right? It looks really pleasurable to have these seven gorgeous women and you just get tired of one, there's another 30 outside the door. And it looks very pleasurable to, to drive a really nice car fast and it looks very pleasurable to live in really nice houses and have all of the stuff you want all the time. And the reason it looks very pleasurable is because it is very pleasurable. It's just great. It's great. But the question is, are they happy? And I would argue with, I don't think there's much of an opposing opinion to this. The, the reason why good triumphs over evil is if you take the devil's best deal and become a movie star, and by that I mean you go down the road of hedonism and pleasure at the expense of everything else, right? If you take that deal and you go for the, and you go for the movie star, the worst thing that can happen to people like that is that they get everything they want. You imagine how awful that must be? I can relate to this because, you know, I had some big holes in my, in my parenting, and so I have a propensity to not have the kind of internal security that most people raised in really healthy families have. So I understand the draw of this thing. I understand the draw of addiction. 
But if you are convinced that you'll be happy if only you had a really expensive car and if only you were really famous and if only you were really rich and if only you had your choice of sexual partners and if only you got to fly first class or in a private jet, if you believe that those are the things that you need in order to be happy, then the worst thing that can happen to you is to, is to have them because then you realize, well, all the things I thought were going to make me happy, I've got all the things I thought were going to make me happy and nothing does. So what do you do? Virtually all of them, virtually all of them, will say, well, yes, I got everything I wanted. I'm still not happy, so we're going to have to increase the dosage, right? We're going to have to increase the dosage. We're doing drugs. We're going to have to do more drugs, and we're going to have to do more powerful drugs. We made money. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to make more money, sp spend money more ostentatiously just to show how much money you have. We're going to have to go from just having as many sexual partners as you want to making them as perverse and as, and as uh, extreme as possible because you are, you become acclimated to, to, to this. It's like, it's, like, it's like any other addictive drug. You know, you, you, the reason that, that heroin addicts have to keep in, increasing the dosage is because the dosage that they start out at doesn't do anything for them anymore. You have to continually increase the dosage. One of the, one of the just things that I remember being quite shook by is if you take, uh, if, you, if you give an injection of heroin that an addict would prepare for himself to a, to a normal person, it will kill them flat out dead because they build up a resistance to all this stuff. So they build up a resistance to, to uh, sexual happiness. They build up a resistance to having a lot of money. They build up a resistance to having a really nice house. Build up resistance to all that stuff. And they keep wanting to go and keep chasing that thing, keep chasing that dragon, trying to catch it and increasing the dosage. When in point of fact, the only chance for them ever to be happy is to stop and drop everything and walk in the other direction. That's the only chance they've got. Because real happiness doesn't come from any of those things. And I ought to know. Because because uh, I've, I've not only gone down that road, I've gotten fairly close to it. I haven't done it on a big level, but I've done it on enough of a level to know what's there and what's not there, you know? Our friend uh, Julius is having a daughter. He's a wonderful guy. He became a fan of the show, uh, came, uh, came here from Lithuania, I believe, became a U.S. citizen, joined the military. Uh, married a girl here and, and watching him uh, come home because he's just another one of those Americans that happened to be born overseas has just been a real pleasure. Congratulations, uh, Julius. We're very proud of you. So I've, I've, I've done that, you know. I mean, I've, to my astonishment, 10 years ago, eight, found myself in like the most... the coolest restaurants in Los Angeles sitting across from movie stars, female movie stars. And, and there's, a, there's a real kick to that. There's a real kick to it. But it's nothing that matches the way I feel when I go home every night. You know, once I got married... I became a whole different person, became a much better person. I couldn't fit in, in the person I used to be, right? Because I was fortunate enough, there was enough grace around me to have saved me from that, uh, from that thing. So 
I have a I have a nice cat. A cat. Somebody says you gotta feed the cats. I have a nice car. It's not the nicest car out there. It's an appropriate car for a guy who's got a membership base. I have a 2018 Camaro. Before that, a 2012 Camaro. The 2012 Camaro was the first new car I'd ever had in my life, and I had it when I was 52. But I have I have had the experience of driving through Hollywood with a famous, beautiful person in the car, getting out at the valet, walking into the place, and all of that. And I'm here to tell you, it's really, really, really cool. But it's nothing. It is nothing compared to the reality of having somebody that really loves you. It's not even on the board. You can't even compare the two. So this is why we're, we can win, because we have a better product. We just do, and we don't, know how to, we don't know how to advertise it. We don't know how to advertise it because it's not as shiny as their product is. It's just better, better built, much better built, and it, and it provides happiness, genuine happiness, not just thrill, not just ego boost. And I've gotten that too. I've been, I've spoken at the Reagan Library. I've been on the podium at the Reagan Library in a room full of movie stars and Supreme Court justices. And, uh, and that is a, is a really great feeling. But it's not as good a feeling as it is hearing somebody say, you know, you changed my life or I would have killed myself if I hadn't heard your videos or something. Nothing. It doesn't even come close. Not even on the same planet. So, so real happiness doesn't live in the devil's deal. Real happiness lives in, in God's deal. But God's deal is wearing, is wearing overalls and the devil's deal is wearing, you know, a, a, you know, a, a $700 who am I kidding? $3,000 suit, right? You've got to be able to see below the surface. Uh, insane fame. For 125 something others. Uh, Bill, will you support ye, Nick Frentois, Alec Jones, and others in 2024 in their attempt to clean, cleanse America of the non-Christian Marxist corruption? Uh let me give you my immediate knee-jerk reaction to that. I'm not comfortable finding myself in, uh, in, in the company of either of those people. Uh, in fact, several of them, I am, in fact, all of them, I, 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 am, I, I find them all repugnant for different reasons. And if you're going to ask me if I'm going to um, help in the attempt to rid America of non-Christian Marxist corruption, I'm going to decline with thanks on that one because I don't like the sound of non-Christian. However, if you had rephrased that and said, Bill, will you support an attempt to cleanse America of Marxist corruption? I'm your guy. It's just you, you have to pick your friends as well as your enemies, you know. You have to you have to be able to be proud or very comfortable, at the very least comfortable with the people who you're, who you're with. Now, Insane Fame says, I'm wrong answer, their solution. Time will tell. I suspect I'm not wrong on that one, but we'll see. Uh, the reason I don't think I'm wrong about this one is because these people that you mentioned don't strike me as, as happy people. They don't strike me as reliable people 
they don't strike me as stable people, and in a couple of cases, they don't strike me as sane people. I think all three of them are extraordinarily narcissistic, and I think the secret to avoiding the devil's deal worked for me is to have been through enough pain so that so that life beats a little humility into you. And the more humility life beats into you, the, the better off you are. And for somebody like me, it took a lot of beating, and the beatings continue to this very day. Um, so I don't see any humility in those people. I don't see any... I don't see any... Uh, self-criticism. I don't see any uh, he's saying that's the media propaganda. It's not the media propaganda. I've listened to them talk. I've listened to them. I've seen what they say. It's not just a question of... I, I've seen them. It's not a question of propaganda. It's not what people tell me about them. I've watched them. I've watched them. I know of, of the three, I know, Milo, I know Milo the best because that was when I was doing most of my speaking engagements. I was in the same room as Milo at the same events as Milo for the better part of a year or two. And, and I saw Milo take all the oxygen out of the room and everybody thought he was the answer. And when I was listening to him, now what I heard about him or read about him on, on MSNBC, when I was in a room listening to him while he's doing what he's doing, I became convinced that this is more about Milo than it is about the idea that it was more about him than it was about the idea. And and I get the same sense from Alex Jones, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know very much about uh, Fuentes, but I haven't, I, in that particular case, yes, I've only heard about him, but but Milo and and uh, and Alex Jones, um, I, uh, I know those people. I, I know them by watching them. Uh, watch the Alex Jones interview with uh, with uh, Yi. When we keep saying Yee, we, we we are we are talking about Kanye. Yay! So it's Yay. Okay, got it. Okay. Uh, so, um, Marcia Dark says of the three, Jones is the least offensive. Ironically, and listen, I'm I'm a fair guy. I I I put a lot of work into being fair. Alex Jones is wrong about most everything, but when he's right, he is right five years ahead of anybody else. And when he's right, he is the only person who's right. Who's, he's the only person who's on that topic. It's just that most of the time he's not right. There you go. So, um, so when I listened to Milo, I listened to him many times. I not only watched his videos, like I said, I didn't read opinions of Milo. I was in the same conventions. I was listening to Milo talk. He was listening to me talk. I was listening to him, and I was listening to him argue. And and I never got the impression that he really not understood so much as, as th that, that, that this wasn't about conservatism and, and the philosophical foundation of it it was more about the delight that Milo has in poking people and especially coming out on top. Now that's fun to watch. Watching, watching, um, watching Milo take down uh, take down people's is great. It's hilarious. But that's not the same thing as being 
solidly grounded in it, you know? So, anyway, um, let's see what we got here. Well, there's just so many questions. Uh, I'm going to take this one uh, from Marusha again, just because we're just talking about it. Uh, Bill, have you been following what's been going on with Kanye West of late? If so, what are your thoughts on it? Personally, I think the man's off his bipolar meds and just digging a deeper and deeper hole for himself. You know, the details are, you know, if you know the details are oppressed for time, you can skip this part in quotes. Anyone, anyway, for people not familiar. And here's a little list of all the things that he, uh, that he didn't talk about. Tim Pool interviewed Kanye, My, Milo, and Nick on his podcast for what went on about dinner. Kanye's presidential answer again. In this Sorry. So apparently uh, it didn't go well and Kanye, Milo, and Nick uh, walked out of the interview. And Tim's been getting a lot of hate for putting people on or not being hard enough on them or... So Tim Pool's getting getting heat because he did put them on, and he's getting heat because he either didn't disagree with them enough, or he disagreed with them too much, or whatever. First of all, Tim Pool doesn't deserve any heat on any of this stuff. Tim Pool is doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's interviewing people. He's getting their opinion. I can interview, and I have. I not only can interview people I completely disagree with. I have interviewed people I completely disagree with. I don't own the opinions of the person I'm interviewing. I just own my own opinions. And and so there you go. Um, sorry, blank Frankie again uh, says, the real question is, do you support Vectron for Supreme Overlord? Well, I have to. The thing about being the Supreme Overlord is I don't get a vote in it. Uh, I, don't, I don't have a, a, a choice. Vectron is Vectron. You know, by by Vectron's golden claw, he's been there for he's been there since Tuesday. Uh, so so there's that. Um, and and so you know, to some degree, uh, the, here's what here's what Zoe and I talked about because Zoe brought this topic up, and and Trump said he didn't realize all this other stuff, and I said, look. I have been defending him, and I will continue to defend him. I voted for him twice. I thought what he did as president is amazing. And I do believe Trump when he says he didn't know, but he should have known. And he's not alone in this. Whoever Trump is being failed by his staff, right? He is no longer a private citizen. He is now former president of the United States and the hope for half of the country. And, and you can't go back to being... Trump, the, the, the developer, after you've become this um, avatar for so, for so many people. Um, you just can't. And, and, and during that show, I said, you know, I think, here's the thing. You, banning Trump from Twitter is, is to, is, I don't, I don't, obviously I don't want to see Trump banned from Twitter, and I don't want Trump to stop being Trump. If I could fix it, what I would do is I would say that Donald Trump's Twitter account goes directly to Ivanka, and then she takes a quick look at it and 
has a look at what might be perhaps not true. She polishes it down just a little bit. It's still Donald Trump. You can trust her. She loves him. They're on the same team, either Donald Trump Jr. or Ivanka. They get to Trump tweets to them, and then they either let it go exactly as it is, or they buff it up a little bit or smooth it down a little bit. He is, you could count on Ivanka and Donald Trump Jr. to not pervert his message, but certainly having a second opinion on that would be uh, worthwhile. Insane Farm says, uh, choose a side. Uh, okay, so what's the, what, what are my choices? I don't get to watch the entire uh, stream, so I know there's a bit of a delay here. So uh, in the YouTube comment section, he says, choose a side. That's a fair question. What is, um, what are my choices? If you, if you want me to choose a side, what, what are the, what are the choices? Yeah, a lot of people are constantly telling me to get out of California. It's probably true. Um, let's see. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of talk about dividing up the, the, the conservatives and also the stuff. Fine. Choose a side. Insane fame, this guy we've been talking with here, says 2024, choose a side, yay versus Democrats. I'm not shopping at that store. If that's what you got, if that's if that's your deal, I'm not interested. Who else you got versus Democrats? I'm not impressed with that um, with that particular product. What else have you got? Because I'm real interested in defeating Democrats, but if that's what you got, I'm sorry, I'm not in it. I'm just that's a hard pass for me. Uh, what else you got? Yeah, it's a false choice, exactly. All right, look, let's see. It's uh, almost two hours here. Uh, maybe do one or two more. I never get to all of them, even when I start early. Hmm. Well... I'm trying to find here. Okay. How about if we just do this one? And I've, I've missed a couple, but I've gotten a bunch of them too. Um, so why don't we just do this one from uh, Judy Sheiks and then uh, maybe probably call it a what? Call it, uh, um, call it a day. And somebody's saying block that troll. I disagree completely. That's not trolling. That's that's disagreeing. I, I know what trolling is. That's not trolling. That's... That's a disagreement. I love disagreements. I think it's grand. Uh, the free exchange of ideas is what makes this whole country go around. And the idea that somebody can say, you believe this, you're an idiot. And the other person can say, well, if you believe that, you're an idiot. And then you argue about it. Then you come to some form of the truth. So no, I certainly don't want to block. I know what uh, what trolling is. Now, you just said you've seen nothing. Yay has more support than Trump. 
that's your opinion. Uh, but in any event, uh, thanks for the input. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there. We're in a real uh, fluid time in terms of the candidates. And the thing I've been saying from the beginning is we shouldn't be worried about the candidates. We should be worried about the message, the brand. The reason that they vote for Fetterman, and who's brain dead, and Biden, who's brain dead, and Pelosi, who's brain dead, and Feinstein, who's brain dead, and Kamala Harris, who was brain dead from birth, not declining any, she's just brain dead. The reason they vote for those people is because they don't care about the candidates. They care about the brand. I missed two Super Chats today. For the love of God, I thought I got them all. Nope, I didn't. Area 51, uh, we need grown-ups with, thank you, Marcia, we need grown-ups with discipline taking the lead, not showstoppers and personalities. It's pretty much what I just said. I'll come back to that in a minute. Hey, Bill, any chance you'll ever join forces with Daily Wire? Uh, yes, Mr. R. Davis, and thank you for the super chat. I, I am constantly uh, joining forces with Daily Wire. I am uh, late with uh, the fourth historical series that I'm doing with them called um, An Empire of Terror about the Soviet Union and, and their secret police. Uh, we just shot about a month ago uh, The Cold War, which was originally just an audio podcast, but we shot that video, and they're doing post-production on that, so that's going to look good. And um, I missed MR. No, I hopefully got yours. Um, and uh, And so I work with them quite a lot. Uh, and I'm and I'm planning on working with them much more closely as well. Uh, but I have I also have my whole my whole uh, my own house I have to keep in order, and I have my own customers that I have to try to keep happy, and and that's how I want it. So uh, so I'm a busy camper. Um, the Moon series was great. Thank you very much. Is uh, uh, it ten, TNT cycles PDX? Thank you. I think it's the best work I've done ever. Uh, and um, and so I'm going to continue to do those uh, things with them. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, it's, it's it's behind a paywall. That that That's hard on me, too. You know, on, uh, to be perfectly honest with you, when they put the Apollo series behind the paywall, that was hard on me. But, again, this see, this is the nice thing about having principles, right? I can say I would like more people have just seen it, but then when I come back down to it, it's like they paid me money and I willingly took the job fully understanding that this is their property from this point forward. And the reason they paid me money was because their business model is to produce content that people want to see by paying for the membership. I understood all of this going into it. I was extraordinarily happy with it. I felt like um, not only did I think I got a fair deal in terms of the financial end of it, but I thought they took incredibly good care of of the final product, and they certainly treated me with with uh, as much respect and and um, and uh, sympathy and and concern for my feelings. I, I've just never worked with better people, so it is behind the paywall because that's the business model that had the money to do it. I wouldn't have put it behind the paywall, but I don't have the money to do it. And the reason I don't have the money to do it is because I wouldn't have put it behind the paywall. So hopefully, uh, there you go. Uh, okay, 
Uh, here's another one, Fiery Waco. Hey, good to see. Uh, Super Chat, you should pay more attention to Super Chats because that's what we are paying for. I have been doing my level best to catch every single Super Chat ever, and I've gotten a bunch of them, and I think I might have missed two, two or three. I, I stopped the train for the Super Chats. It's one of the reasons why I was a little reluctant to do the Super Chats. I take them very seriously. All right, so apparently I missed one by two. I'll just go through them all again. They're supposed to remain up here, but they only remain up at the top for just a, 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 a few moments. I, don't, I really do not know why the Super Chats are not set up so that I can click it when I've answered it, and otherwise it just hangs there until I get to it. Here we go. No, I got I got 240 pixel. Jul um, P.S. I'm having a daughter from Julius. So I missed the is there one probably before that, right? Well, that super chat doesn't go any higher. I'm at the end. I'm at the top of the school. Julius, if I missed a chat of yours, I apologize. You can get a free one next time. Uh, anyway, that's that. Um, it'd be lovely to have a producer who's dealing with these things and is able to just cut and paste them, send them to me, and he's constantly looking at all the good questions. That'd be marvelous. And if we did that. Uh, we'd have a much more well-produced show, but I actually kind of think a somewhat less interesting show. Uh, people say, you know, stay on target and you're wandering around. This whole thing is just free association, right? That's, that's the only thing I think I bring to the table is all of the stuff I talk about is, is either history or, or, or science fiction. And I, I just connect things and I, I, I try to connect things in interesting ways. Um, all right, I'm going to do one more, uh, and then, I, then I'm going to get out of here. Cody Fett for $10. Bill, since my question about reality keeps getting skipped over, I'll instead ask if you've considered including citations in your historical videos like what TIK History does so we can read along. Um, that's a really good question, I think, and I think that Daily Wire would be more than happy to do that. They haven't asked me before, so it hasn't really happened. Uh, in terms of the Apollo 11 series, it wasn't like I read one book. It's just that I knew that stuff, and I went digging in for, into Wikipedia for research. Now, on the Empire of Terror thing, on the other hand, I've been reading five or six books, at least six, six or seven 900-page history books, and I can list what those are. And I think that's a really good idea. I think when we're done with this, I ought to uh, include for Daily Wire, this is the, these are the sources of this show, and then they can link them there, or they can sell them, or move them on to Amazon, whatever the case may be. Um, so, yes, yeah, sources are great. Uh, my, one of my problems with that, Cody, is that I, I have so many different sources, and, and there's, I mean, it's just the way I work. It's like, I've got, there's something I either know or, or think I know, so I'll just jump into the web and ask a question or two, and then I'll find an answer on you know a Wikipedia page or something else that certifies it, and then I got something else I'm going to go and try and connect. So it's not like it's not like here's the location Bill goes to for research. It's like I just my sort. I've said this before, although not recently. Uh, my job is to is to stand on Dorothy's porch in the tornado. To be constantly surrounded by this swirling sea of information, including historical information, and my job is 
to look at all of this stuff as it goes by quickly. I don't have time to get into depth with all this. Just look at all this stuff blowing by all the time. And my job is, that's interesting. Let me have a look at that. And then that I can take a look at that and drill down into that. And most of the time I'm right, sometimes I'm not. But that's interesting. And if you pull the interesting things together and put them together in an interesting way, then you got something interesting. And that's what I did with all three of those series. But with the, like, with the Apollo or Cold War in particular, there's just an almost endless stream of information. I'm not a historian. Uh, I'm, I'm selling history, but really, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a storyteller. So in the case of the Apollo 11 series, I knew everything about that, but that's not what's interesting. What's interesting is what can people connect to? And of all the things in the Apollo series, and I'm proud of every word of that series, the one I'm most proud of by far was my conversation about that picture of Neil Armstrong after he'd come back from the moonwalk. No, after, the, after he'd landed. That look on his face was taken by Aldrin, obviously. He's got this look on his face, and I broke that look down. I spent a couple paragraphs on what I thought was going through his mind, and, and that's something that everybody can connect to. And that's, that's the part that's a little, a little tricky. Uh, so that's Cody Fed out of the way. Uh, La oops. Lance, I'm sorry, Lapco92. I'm sorry about the pronunciation. It's just my eyesight. Nazis weren't right wing. They were radicals that used conservatives because Weimar wasn't working, wasn't working people. Because, because Weimar Republic wasn't working, people said, let's see what these guys can do. How can it be worse? I worry we'll get that desperate. I think we're probably past... Let's see how bad things can get. Um, uh, Lapko, you're absolutely right. There's the, the, this idea of calling conservatives by the same name as Nazis is something we simply should just stop doing, right? And anytime somebody says, you guys, you conservatives are Nazis, it's like, just stop them. Hold it right there. Nazi is an acronym. It's an acronym for NSDAP, NASDAP, National Socialist Deutschland Apartheid Party, Partei. And it means the National German, the, oh, sorry, the National Socialist German Workers Party. You can't spell Nazi without saying Socialist Workers Party. That's your team. That's not my team. That's your team. So next time you start calling people a Nazi, you better know what Nazi means. And the same thing goes for fascists. It means a fascist is from a fascisti. It's a Latin term from the Romans. means a bundle of sticks. The definition of fascism is collectivism. That's why they chose that as a symbol. You can break individual sticks, but when you tie all the sticks together, you can't break them. That's the collectivist image. That's what a fascisti is. That's why Mussolini cho chose the name fascism. And so fascism is collectivism. And once again, that's your team. It's not my team. You're the fascist and you're the Nazi. You're just too stupid to know what the terms mean. The opposite of, of the, of the uh, Nazis is, the opposite of the communists is not the Nazis. The communists and the Nazis are both socialist organizations. And I didn't name them. I didn't name the National Socialist German Workers Party, and I didn't name the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So if socialists want to say, well, neither one of them did that right, then I would say, well, they killed a couple hundred million people in the effort, so maybe it's not such a good idea, but I think the more likely answer is they put the word socialism into the names of their murder machines because it made certain simple-minded people think, this is swell. And you find that very thing going on today. 
Marusha Dark, $20 Super Chat. GK and I will set you up with Streamlabs, which collects all the Super Chats you're like you're asking. They remain on YouTube based on amount you pay. Also, do you want us to send you the direct link to forum questions each week? I can find the forum questions. Thank you. That's nice. Uh, I, I don't know if that's a setting I can deal with, uh, but I take it real seriously. I really, really do. I take it probably too seriously, but I, 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 I hope I haven't missed any. I don't think I have. Up oh, here's one I missed. Insane fame again. Uh, have you read Professor McDonald's Culture of Critique? Any comments about who subverted U.S. immigration policy in 1965 and why? Uh, I have not read the book. I know that that I'm, I'm pretty sure that Ted Kennedy had something to do with this. I know that in the mid-'80s, or maybe earlier, a decision was made to change the immigration priorities of the country and it seems to me and most people that they were changed by the Democrats to bring into the country people who are more likely to vote Democrat and to exclude from the country people who are more likely to vote Republican. So, yes, I need Streamlabs. I'm using Streamlabs, I think, right? Uh, anyway, I need an engineer or a producer or a producer engineer or an engineering producer. Um, back to this question and I'm going home. Uh, from Troy Stevens. Hey, Troy. Space program history. Have you been to the Air and Space Museum in D.C. lately? I have not, although my, Phil, my friend Phil Trick says that uh, on a, our bucket list is a trip to the Air Force Museum in Dayton, so, uh, so that would be cool. Uh, I've been several times, but I haven't been lately, and I've been to the Uber Hoxie uh, uh, place in, out by Dallas as well, and that's pretty cool, too. I visited the newly renovated Destination Moon exhibit over Thanksgiving, and it was beyond thrilling to see the Apollo 11, Gemini 7, and Mercury, Mercury Freedom 7 capsules in person. It is. Just, just to see them there and realize that they're real is really something. Uh, they also did a clever job of putting visitors under the Saturn V first stage using one and a quarter F1 engines and some well-placed mirrors. Now, that is a brilliant idea, because when you see the F1 engine... There's a picture of Werner Braun Braun standing with the Saturn V on its side behind him. It's there's a meme for it too. It's just, this this thing is just he, he could stand he could you could put two von Braun standing on each other's shoulders inside the nozzle of one of these five engines. And there's a meme of him standing there. This thing's in the background. He says, uh, "What that? That's just some rocket I built." Uh, so yeah. Um, Sadly, the panoramic timeline video they added put our space program in the context of all the worst stuff happening in the USA at the time. Of course they did. The MLK and JFK assassinations, racial strife and civil, war, civil rights struggles, the Vietnam War or the left's war against the Vietnam War, etc. I can imagine maybe someone thought this would show great things can happen in dark times, but it felt more like, sure, we achieved some amazing and wonderful thing, but look at how awful we are otherwise. Precisely correct. You got it exactly correct. Yes, all those other awful things happened, but it's interesting that they chose to focus so much on the negative to the exclusion of other stuff that was going on, much like Silent America character trying to convince us that there are only black grains of sand on the beach. I can't say I'm surprised. I know our institutions are deeply compromised and the left can't stand to let a single American achievement stand without gloomy criticism for context, but it's sad that there's seemingly nothing good 
that they're content to leave alone. Amen to that last thing. Uh, the guy talking about the, the, the black sand uh, in, in the Silent America books, I made an argument. I was trying to explain how you could lie by telling the truth. And I was Michael Moore, who many of you have never heard of, but who at one point, one point uh, in 2004 had some, um, some sway, uh, was lying through his teeth. And people would say, well, what's the lie? And I tried to think about a good example of that. And so the example I came up with is, if you go to uh, any beach, let's just say the beach at Malibu, and you look out on the beach, and the beach is it's white. It's light tan, right? It's a white sand beach. Sand is mostly white. And if you get down to the beach, if you've ever been on a beach before, you know that if you take a handful of sand, virtually all of those grains of sand are going to be light in color, but interspersed throughout them are a few dark, really dark, almost black individual grains of sand. So, what Roger Moore does is, he goes down to the beach at Malibu, and he sits there with a, with a very fine pair of tweezers and magnifying glasses, and he pulls all of those, one of those black grains out of thousands or millions, and he puts it in a bucket, and then he finds another one, and he puts it in a bucket, and he does this for quite a long time. Then he's able to go to the bucket, take the bucket with him, make a lecture, and say, the, the beaches at Malibu are black, here's your proof. Here's, here, is a, here is a bucket of sand that I got from Malibu. See? Pitch black. He's right. He's not lying. That sand did come from Malibu. He's not lying about that, but he's obviously lying about the larger issue he's trying to make. That's how you lie by telling the truth. Did I say Roger Moore? It's an indication just of how far Michael Moore is uh, off the radar. Uh, yeah, Michael Moore, the... the, the The, the mandacious manatee of Michigan, I guess, whatever you want to call it. Anyway, uh, G.K. Masterson, uh, let's set up a time to configure Streamlabs and test that it works right for you. You have my contact info. Okay, great. I will try and uh, get that done. Um, anyway, that's how it works. So, uh, and Michael Moore and Muckraker for Musha Dark for the win there. All right, uh, I think I'm going to probably call it uh, the Mandacious Manatee of Michigan, yes. Uh, okay, I will do that. Uh, I think at this point I am going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to wrap it up. It's a short one tonight, only two hours and a little over two hours. Uh, I'm just a little tired, frankly. And I have to be in the chair tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for our uh, Friday morning right angles. So I need some sleep because i got a lot of writing to do after that. Hope to shoot that uh, firewall tomorrow if I can. Uh, all right, that's about it, I guess. Why not? Yeah, I'll just wrap it up. Uh, so anyway, uh, this particular show, like all the other uh, particular shows, is made possible by the members at BillWhittle.com who, um, who give so much and ask so little. Uh, never met a finer group of people. Uh, and not only are they generous, but they have incredible patience with me and my, uh, you know, headless chicken running around strategy for trying to get stuff out the door. And um, not a day goes by when I'm not grateful for that, and all of us here as well. So thank you uh, very much for that, as always. Uh, thanks, all of you, for coming and watching. Thanks for the people on YouTube and Twitch. And um, 
We will see you live on Monday night uh, with the Stratosphere Studio. And uh, we should be back next Thursday, I reckon. Don't give up hope. That's the, that's the objective of these people. Never, never give them what they want. Just, just keep on hoping out of spite. That's what I recommend.